0: Well, good morning, Westside. Good to see you. How you doing today? All right? Good, good, good. Well, my name is Gary Kendall, and my wife, Belinda, and I came to Westside six years ago when, after starting and leading a church across town for many years, we felt like that it was time to transition that church, and we turned it over to a couple that we dearly love. We came to Westside the next week. And we've never left. (laughs) We've been here ever since. Thank you you for being a home to us and for welcoming us. The staff and Westside has just been wonderful. On most Sundays, you might see me online because I work on the online team. So at 8.15, I'm in the chat. Let's say hi sometime if you're online. And then 9.30, I'm in YouTube. And then 11 o'clock, I'm usually sitting right down here. So I'm glad to be with you today and to continue this series that I think is an important one for us. You guys actually asked these questions. So these questions in this series came from you, the congregation, and then they were grouped into subject matter, and that's how we came up with the titles. So the questions that you asked that are a part of this particular message were ones like these. So why does God allow terrible things to happen to children, like sex exploitation? Or why in the Bible, when the rape of Tamar, a daughter of David, was mentioned, David never actually addressed it? Does that mean that God cares or he doesn't? And then why do bad things happen to good people? Well, that's some, some heavy lifting, right? Right? But all of us have had these questions. These aren't new. We just voiced them. And I think it's important to lean into them today. And if you have some doubt, then welcome to the crowd. You're right at home. Let's let that be a catalyst for us. But I do want to start at a little bit of a lighter place, if I could, so it's not all heavy today. How many of you have ever seen this book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day? Have you seen that book? <laughs> okay, some of you moms have read that book in your home Uh, We've all had bad days, right? So this is a good place to start. Even kids have bad days. Let's read a little bit about Alexander's day. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater into the sink while the water was running. And I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box, and Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box, but in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. (laughs) I think I'll move to Australia. (laughs) Well, his day goes from bad to worse, and you can almost guess what could happen in between, but I'm going to skip to the end. At night, he said, I went to bed, and Nick took back the pillow that he said I could keep, and the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out, and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not me. By the way, I think that would be a good thing. I'm, I'm not a cat person. That was one thing that went right that day. It's been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says some days are like that even in Australia. <laughs> so some days are like that, right? Everybody has probably said that life happens. That's the nice version we can use here today. And do, do we have a better explanation than some days are like that? I'd like to lean into that today because every one of us has experienced hard days. In fact, as I was reading that, you were probably thinking, Wow, that would be a tame day in the world I live in. Wait till I tell you about my horrible, terrible, no good very day. Right. I get you. So let's start with this place that life is hard. That's our reality. And the Bible says in Matthew 5, 45, that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. All of us experience difficult times. Job, who was very familiar with hard times, said this, man is born for trouble as surely as the sparks fly upward from a fire. So this is the life that we live. We're all familiar with that. But why? Why is it like that? So why, if God is a good God, does he allow such pain in this beautiful world we live in? We live in a world that has beauty and pain. It has good and it has bad. They're all mixed together, and we all experience both in that. Jesus said this about this world. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. He didn't say you might or occasionally. He said you will. You will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So there's a ray of sunlight. We can be of good cheer that the world's like this. But how? How do, how, are we, how do we have good cheer when the world's like this? I think we need some kind of framework, right, to work with so that we aren't just always wondering what's coming at us next and why is it the way it is. But I do want to say today that if you're coming in here with some skepticism, coming in here with some question, coming in here with some doubt, then welcome to the crowd. That's a good place to be. Let's harness that today and lean into it and actually let that be a catalyst we're finding some better answers. I'm not just going to say to you today that we just exercise faith. Faith is a good thing, and it's an important thing. But faith and reason, faith and truth together make us even stronger. So that's that's where we're headed today. And as we head into this, I'll tell you that in my own experience, this is not just theory. So I'm not speaking to you today out of like a professor might to to talk about the, why the world's the way it is on a classroom. My story is that my wife Belinda and I were blessed with, with four beautiful children, two boys and two girls. And we pastored to church across town, life was good, things were going well, our dreams were coming true. And the fourth girl, Megan, was like icing on the cake for us. Like she, she was just smiles and laughter and fun. And it was like our family was perfectly balanced out because we had two boys and then two girls. So they were, they were even. Megan was a kind of little baby that was mischievous. And when she was, could barely walk and was only two years old, she would come up to the breakfast table and she would take the chewy vitamin from her four-year-old brother, Luke, and run away cackling because poor Luke... At four years old, he's not sure if it's legal to actually go tackle his little sister and take his vitamin back or not, so he's in a dilemma. But this is the, uh, the joy that we were having at that time in our life. However, when Megan was 21 months old, she came down with a, a bad cold, we thought. We took her to the doctor. The doctor said, she's going to be fine. And uh, I went off to speak in Clinton, Missouri, to another church. It was a Saturday night. On Saturday morning, my wife Belinda went into her bedroom and found Megan dead in her crib. Overnight, she had died of viral pneumonia. So her little lungs, which are about the size of a a hand, had filled up with fluid overnight. So Belinda was getting the kids ready for church on a Sunday morning. And she's got a six-year-old and a four-year-old and an eight-year-old. And she has a daughter that's died, and she calls me frantically and just yells my name into the phone and says, Megan's died. And I'm preparing to speak that morning and just trying to take it all in, not, not comprehending anything that was happening. And about that time, the ambulance came, so she put the phone on the counter and left, and that was the last thing that I heard for like an hour. And so Belinda has to take the kids over, wake up the neighbors, and hand them off to a neighbor and get into an ambulance with our daughter, knowing that she couldn't be resuscitated. I waited for that hour. It seemed like the longest hour of my life. And then finally got the call no one wants to get, where a board member told me that yes, in fact, our daughter Megan had died. And that threw us into a place where we would ask all of these questions. And probably feel the feelings that some of you are feeling today, loss and denial and pain and anger and grief were overwhelming in those days. And what I can say to you today is that if you're in that place today, if the wound is still fresh for your losses, because death isn't the only loss, people go through divorce and people have friends that have betrayed them and kids that that go... uh, in a different way than you would hope or want, and difficult things happen. We lose jobs. If you're in a place like that today, I just want to say to you that we stand here together as a community of people who've all experienced loss, and I don't have answers for your loss, and I'm not trying to explain away your loss as if we could find some kind of reason to make it all fit. I had Christians come up to me and say the craziest things like, well, God must have needed another angel in heaven. And I wanted to say, like, stand right there so I can punch you in the face. (laughs) I mean, if God wanted an angel, he could make one, right? He didn't have to take mine. Sometimes I actually felt safer with non-Christians who would just cuss and say, I don't understand God at all because that's where I was in those days. But I want to encourage you today that the God who helped us to heal and has carried us through the, the decades of time since that, that that same God will carry you if you'll allow him to. And allow him, open your mind and let him speak to you today because I think that some of these things we've experienced could actually be of help to you. I took, I took comfort from the words of the psalmist, David, who said that God catches our tears in a bottle, I don't really understand what that would be like exactly, but I think I get from that that God really cares. Like nothing is wasted. Like he understands and will redeem our losses and stand with us through all the pain that we go through. He catches our tears in a bottle. I take comfort from Jesus' actions when he went to Mary and Martha after they lost their brother Lazarus. Because when Lazarus died, Jesus went to them. With Mary, he kind of debated because she had some questions. I mean, with Martha, sorry. With Martha, she just cried and Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, but maybe it says the most. Jesus wept. And then when he went to the tomb of Lazarus, it says he was moved with great compassion. So just know that Jesus is moved by your loss and he weeps with those who weep. But we do need to talk about these things. I'll never forget my neighbor, John, walking down the street. We had known each other for years, but right after Megan died, John walked down the street, knocked on my door. When I invited him inside, he came in and he just put his arms around me. And he said, You just joined the club. No one wants to join. I was a bit perplexed. And then he said, My daughter died too. She was five years old. We had known each other for years. We, I, he had never told me that story. And in that moment, I knew that he knew, and his arms around me were exactly what I needed. Sometimes we don't have to have words, but we do need someone to stand with us. And I love West Side's invitation to us for support groups, grief groups, recovery groups, divorce groups. There's lots of opportunities for you to allow someone to stand with you and put their arms around you and say, I care, because there are a lot of difficult things that happen in this life. Why, why is it that a drunk gets drunk and drives and then kills a homecoming queen on the very night that she's crowned? Have you heard stories like that? It happens in our world. You know, why, why is it that a storm like Hillary slams into California and does $9 billion worth Of damage. The loss of life and property was historic. Now, I know some of you are thinking political thoughts, so just come back. (laughs) Randy's gonna address that in two weeks. He'll probably be using the word aardbark a lot. If you don't know what that means, you just have to come. But why do things like this happen? Because we could say that, well, you know, I understand some, but not others. Why is it that there are sex traffickers? Maybe you've seen the movie. Uh, the Sound of Freedom," starring Jim Cavazel. And you've, you, I recommend the movie, but I will tell you that if you go, while you're there, you'll probably have this pit in your stomach and find yourself holding your breath. But the sad news is it isn't only in South America that sex trafficking takes place. Kansas City's number three in the nation in sex trafficking. So what do we do about all of these questions? Where is God? When it hurts, why are things the way that they are? Let's, let's go there today. Can we do that? Let's start, first of all, in this process of attempting to understand with God's original design. So when God create him, created Adam and Eve, he put them into a virtual paradise, right? You, you know the story. In the six days of creation, God creates, and he says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. it's good." And on the sixth day, he says what? Very good. So everything that Adam and Eve could want, everything that humanity could want was there. Even in the evening, then God came in the cool of the evening, and he was in communion or fellowship with man. This is what God always wanted, the ability to be in relationship with his children. He told them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, so everything was good. And then God loved them so much, he gave them the right to choose. And I want us to say that together. I'm going to say it, the right to choose, and then I want you to repeat it after me, okay? The right to choose. The right to choose. choose. It was so important to God that in the middle of this garden, paradise, that he put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, until that point, they had only known good. But at this place and time, he gave them the right to choose. Do you know why that's important? Because God desires a relationship that's mutual. God desires a relationship where we choose him by our own volition, not because it's the only choice that we have. If, if God didn't give us any other choice, we might as well be puppets on a string, right? So in the middle of the garden, he places this tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and the tempter says to Adam and Eve, God's withholding something from you. Like if you would eat this, you would become like God. God. So we know the rest of the story, right, that Adam and Eve took of the fruit, they ate from it, and when they did, then for the first time, they experienced evil. They only knew good, now they experienced evil, and immediately the curses and the the sentence that was proclaimed on what would happen if they ate the fruit began to take place. In Genesis 2.17, the Bible says that if you eat from this fruit, you'll die. That was the consequence of that choice, and so that's exactly what they began to experience. Immediately, they were separated from God. They had to leave the garden. Immediately, uh, an animal had to die in their place because the consequence was if you eat this, you'll die. So an animal dies. They're clothed with the animal's skin. They leave the garden. The man is going to have to earn his way by the sweat of his brow. The woman's going to have multiplied pain in childbirth. And evil came into the world. And so we live in a world that's stained by evil and sin, but it wasn't God's choice. We brought that upon ourselves. Adam and Eve made that choice. And before I could condemn them too much, I'd have to say I've made choices like that too. And I would guess you probably have as well. It's the nature of man. It's inborn in us. Of the fleshly appetite to have our way, to be our own God, to be able to control the choices and the outcomes if we can. So, a lot of what comes into this world comes in because of that choice. The Bible says inborn sin is passed down into the world through the line of Adam, the gender of Adam. So, through the male, sin is inborn into the world. And some of you women are saying, I knew it, I knew it was the man's fault. And then the men are saying, but Eve ate the apple first, <laughs> so shame and blame are all around, and there's plenty to go around, but what do we do? Romans 8:28 describes this world pretty accurately, I think, when it says that even the earth groans because of this sin-stained world. So we could safely say a lot of the evil that comes into our world comes because of sin, sinful choices that people make, and the consequences of that hurting people hurt people. But a thinking person would also say, "But Gary, not all. Yes, I see some of that. But why would an earthquake happen in Turkey and kill 20,000 people? Was, did that mean the people in Turkey were worse than other countries? I mean, that's a, a reasonable question, right? So not everything would be a consequence of sin. And I think we should we should understand that Jesus." Felt this was important enough to address with his own disciples. So in Luke chapter 13, Jesus addresses this. He and the disciples were walking along one day and he was talking with them and he said, Do you remember when Herod killed some of the people uh, at the sacrifices and some died and some didn't? And then he continued, There was a tower of Siloam that fell and it killed 18 people. By the way, I thought it was interesting, he knew exactly the number that were killed. The tower fell and killed 18 people, and then he poses this question that we're asking today. Do you think they were worse sinners than the others? And the implied answer is what? No. So not everything in the world is pure cause and effect, right? Some is, but not all. There's a certain amount of random where we're in the wrong place at the wrong time that happens in our world that is actually necessary so that you and I truly have that right to choose. Remember what we said a minute ago, the right to choose? If God would always just simply do everything by cause and effect, that when you did good, you got good, when you did bad, you got bad, like this world would be a place of calculated choices, right? And some of us would try to hack the system. We would try to figure out how much bad can I do and still get away with it, you know, and if we did good, it might be doing good only to get ahead, so we would have a right to choose, but not really, because the consequences are just obvious, so God introduces random into the world, it has to be that way to protect our right to choose, so that we can exercise our right to choose, to volitionally choose God anyway. And random does that for us. As much as we might dislike random in the world, what it does do is it exposes our values and our motives. When random things happen, we have to make choices. Are we going to continue to love? Like will we act with integrity even when someone does something wrong to us or if we're wrong, if we're at the wrong place at the wrong time? Will we choose to still love God even when our daughter <laughs> dies? So back to, to my story, 2 o'clock in the morning when I finally got back to Olathe, and I'm sitting there in bed, and I'm feeling all the feelings that you can imagine. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm mad. I'm in so much pain, I think, you know what? I, don't, I think I might actually die right now. Like the pain, I think I might die of a broken heart, right, at this moment. And maybe that wouldn't be all so bad, like to join my daughter in heaven, And I'm thinking all these thoughts, feeling all of these feelings, and in that moment, I think I hear God speak to me, and I think that he says, I know how you feel. My son died too. And I said, do you? Like, you're God. You knew this would happen. Do you? Do you feel that? It's shocking to me to hear what I thought was the voice of God. As I'm responding, I think I hear God speak again, just through my thoughts into my mind and heart, and he says, but I willingly gave up my son for you. I thought, wow, I actually thought back to the moment where Jesus was on the cross, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thought, you know, maybe, maybe in that moment that Jesus and God are both feeling the loss that I'm feeling right now. And I could tell you that did not take away any of my questions, but I did feel a little bit of comfort. And then I realized something I want to share with you, because I think it's true for all of us. I realized at that moment that I had a choice, and I could either turn to God, and I could receive the comfort that he was offering me, or in my anger and unanswered questions and pain, I could turn from God if I did that, I was going to deal with all of these things I was feeling on my own. But if I turned to him, then I could receive what he was going to offer. And so I leaned into God's comfort. And if today you're in a place like that, I encourage you, lean into God's comfort. The Savior that walks towards you to comfort you walks with nail-pierced hands towards you. He does understand. Later, I reflected on that a lot, and I thought, you know, I I know it's a noble thing that Jesus died on the cross. I know it, it shows of God's love that he would do that for us, but how does it actually matter? See, I have a lot of questions. How does it actually matter? And I feel like this is what God was revealing to me through the scripture, that when Jesus came, he came born to a virgin, fully God, fully man. Born to a virgin because that way he could avoid Adam's sin that was passed on through the male gender. So he's born to a virgin. As he grows, he begins to teach us about the love of the Father. And he begins to show us the Father's love in flesh and blood. And his opening message was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, And some people have said, look, here comes God into the world, and the first thing he does is condemn us. That word repent might be an unfortunate translation. In the Hebrew and in the Greek, it actually has another meaning, which I think is closer to what Jesus was really doing. And that word repent actually means turn around or come back. What I see Jesus doing is coming into the world and saying, look, this kingdom, this paradise that you lost, I'm bringing it with me. I'm bringing heaven to earth, good news for the poor, release for the captives, The sight for the blind, the lame, would leap for joy. Those who are mourning or lost are dancing. And he's bringing this kingdom back saying, turn around and come back. Everything that you've lost, like I'm bringing it back to you, restoring it. Just come back and receive the kingdom. And we know the rest of the story that the same tempter and adversary that tempted Adam and Eve, that's tempted you and me, then arranged it. So that, or so he thought, so that Jesus would be condemned, not embraced, but condemned. All that we had seen from Jesus taught us to love what we saw, but the people who are in religious authority and the Romans were afraid. And because of that, they condemned Jesus for claiming to be God, that was his sentence, and for claiming to be king. That's what the Romans condemned him for. So Jesus died on the cross, but let me ask you this question. Was he guilty of that sentence? No, he wasn't. Why wasn't he guilty? Because it was true. <laughs> he was in fact God. He was in fact King. So if Jesus didn't die on the cross for his own sin, who whose sin did he die for? Well, he died for the sin of Adam. And Eve, because they were the ones who claimed to be God when they took the fruit, right? So he died for their sin. And who else's sin did he die for? For you and for me, for any of us who have claimed or tried to be our own God. So just like sin came into the world through one man, Adam, then forgiveness and grace comes into the world through one man, Jesus. And he paid for the sin of all humanity On the cross. So, whether you receive it or not, He's already paid for your sin. But now you and I are back to the same place Adam and Eve were in. How will we choose? We have choices in our life. We have pain. We have unanswered questions. We have ambition that we're trying to accomplish things in life. So, what will we do? I'm just going to invite you today to turn to God, not from Him. Your story is not over. Like, God will not waste any of the pain. You may still have unanswered questions at the end of the day, but if you will turn to God, not from God, then God will get you safely to the finish line because he's given you grace, he's given you forgiveness, he's given you his Holy Spirit. And so let's summarize what we have at the moment. So we live in a fallen, broken world, right? There's sin everywhere. We have an adversary, who's working against us, but we also have a savior, an advocate, who's working for us, and we get to make that choose. So choice. So as the worship team comes, I'm just going to invite you to stand in the room. Would you stand here? And online, as you're responding, would you take a moment to do what God cared about so much that he let his own son die so you could do, and that's to freely choose, this is what cost Jesus his life. So would you take a moment today as the worship team sings and respond to God in your own way? Like, give him your pain. Give him your challenges. Give him your questions. Invite him into the moment. You may want to cup your hands as if to receive his comfort and help. You may want to come forward. Sometimes it's valuable to come and stand because probably a friend is going to come with you and put their arm around you or a prayer member, or a staff member. But however you respond today, I invite you to step into this moment with God, and after the worship team sings, I'll come back and we'll pray together. So as we respond to God today, and you can use this anytime you don't know exactly how to pray, why don't you think back to three of the first words you ever learned. Sorry, thank you, and please, and I want you to form a, your own prayer to God, but you might start with the word sorry. God, I'm sorry I've chosen to be my own God. You put those words into your own thoughts and offer them to God. God, I'm sorry I've gone my own way. Sorry, Lord, when I didn't wait for your provision. I'm sorry, God, when I condemned you for things that you didn't do. You allowed them, but you didn't cause them. I'm sorry, God, I've held that against you. Today, I let it go. Next word is thank you. God, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for coming back and saying, turn around, I have a kingdom for you. Thank you for that invitation to come in and receive forgiveness. I receive it today. I receive your grace. Thank you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. That's the only way I can do this. But there's grace enough to save you and grace enough to keep you. And then the last one is please, please, God, add your own words here. Please, God. Please, God. Please, God, take my mess and turn it into a miracle. Please, God, take this test. I'm experiencing right now, and give me a testimony. God, please, get me to the finish line in this life, and I will love you and follow you the best I know how. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said amen. Amen. The best is yet to come.